Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Cancer Fight Podcast, recorded in Louisville, Kentucky, and produced by the Colon Cancer Prevention Project. Cancer Fight aims to highlight the stories of fighters and survivors of all forms of cancer, as well as educate the public about prevention and awareness. I'm your host, Dr. Whitney Jones, a gastroenterologist and founder of the Colon Cancer Prevention Project. Welcome to Cancer Fight. Today, we're visiting with Janika Sherrod, Masters in Public Health, who works with the Kentucky Cancer Program East, based at the University of Louisville, and is the leader of Kentucky African Americans Against Cancer in the state of Kentucky at this time. Janika and I have known each other for many years in the cancer space business in Louisville, and this is a perfect time to bring Janika in to talk to us about where we're going and what we're going to do. Janika, welcome to Cancer Fight. Thank you. It is an honor. I'm so happy to be on today. Well, that's great. And we can't wait to sort of hear your story. But tell us a little bit about who you are and where you grew up and how you sort of, you know, came to be who who we all know so well. So, you know, some people know this, some don't. But I was born in that wonderful, windy city, Chicago, Illinois. And then when I was about five years old, my mom decided that she wanted to relocate here to Louisville, Kentucky. I'm the youngest of her three girls. And you know, as a single parent, being in a more family-oriented city was very important to her. And let's just say we ended up here and I've been here ever since, you know? But it's so funny because when I think back, I'm like, mom, how did you choose Louisville, Kentucky? you knew like one person here like did you lay a map down and like drop a pencil eraser and wherever it landed you said that's where i'm going like i was like how did you choose louisville kentucky but i can say that it's all been great and all worked out well with us being here and so when did you begin to get into the space around public health and cancer walk us through that that piece because uh, i don't think it when you were three you were in the in the absolutely public health division not. absolutely not so you know my mother was diagnosed with cancer when i was in high school and that was actually the pivotal pivotal moment in my life when i decided that i wanted to focus on cancer i remember like it was yesterday you know i remember going to her treatments with her i remember holding her hand and being by her side while she was going through treatments and her oncologist, Dr. Geetha Joseph. So Dr. Geetha Joseph, if you're still out there, <laughs> you impacted my life. <laughs> but she was the one who, she took me under her wing and explained the whole process to me. Because I was, I, I just wanted to understand, like, what is this disease that could take my mother from me? What is this disease that is changing our life and creating a new norm? What is this disease that is making my mother so ill? Because at that age, I really didn't, I didn't fully understand it. So throughout that process, that's actually how I got interested in cancer itself. And then I went on to college and ironically enough, I never knew what public health was. I initially went into college saying, you know what, I'm going to medical school, I'm gonna be a medical doctor. And I majored in biology and undergrad and I had this whole life plan planned out, right? You know, just in who, and you wouldn't believe that it would never go the way that you expect, right? So, so I have this whole plan laid out and I'm going to medical school. I finished undergrad and life circumstances kind of postponed some things for a while. So I started trying to study for the MCAT. I took it and was like, you know what? I, I want to get a higher score on it. But at that point in time, I was volunteering for a doctor here, a pediatric doctor in her literacy program. And 
she says to me, have you ever thought about public health? And I'm like, what? Public what? And she's like, going into public health. And I was like, so is that what people do when they don't go to medical school right away? Like, I'm like trying to figure it out, right? And um, she was just like, no. She was like, I think that you'll love it. Just from knowing you, from you being under me for a while, I, I think this will be a fit for you. And I said, okay, well, I'll go get a master of public health and then I'll go to med school after. Let's just say it took one class in my master's program and I never looked back. I completely fell in love with public health. And then I started doing, um, I got my, I did my practicum with Kentucky Cancer Program West um, through getting my master's degree. And I end up six years later, here I am still at KCP. And let's just say I didn't go back to medical school. I'm actually a doctoral candidate at Spalding University now. <laughs> so you're on your way to getting your PhD in, in public health. Well, actually, so I, originally I started out looking at a PhD in public health, and this is kind of how things just change and go different trajectories. So actually, I'm getting a Doctor of Education Leadership with a focus on public health. So I'm actually spalding getting that degree, and all of my work still has been on health equity and social justice and public health. And it's been amazing, but that was because I understood and I was able to realize how important leadership is in public health that helped, that made me go that direction. Well, that's excellent. Congratulations. Well, there was a lot of uh, nights and weekends on call in medical school and, and such. So, you know, we really need you out there. The robots are going to take over medicine anyway. So we're going to need some leadership and education. So that's, that's, that's great. Congratulations. Well, t tell me a little bit more about, about your, your mom, because you told me, uh, shared something earlier that she had had multiple cancers and, and you've had multiple impacts in your family. Uh, starting as a teenager where it was a foreign word to you and you didn't wrap your head around it. Mm -hmm. what, where else were you shaped in terms of your early formation with your family? So let me say, you know, my mother actually was diagnosed with cancer three times. She had breast twice and then uterine cancer once. And after my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer the first time, it was shortly after, no, I'm sorry, it was right before my mom being diagnosed with breast cancer. My grandfather was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Although his experience just did, was not as impactful on me as my mother's because he didn't have to go through the radiation and the chemotherapy. So I didn't get to see that side like I did with my mother, but my grandfather, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. My father's had prostate cancer. So let's just say that cancer runs through my family. So not only have I been impacted by seeing my relatives um, fate, that battle with cancer, but I've had to look at it for myself, you know, with my mother being diagnosed at 43, that impacted when I started getting screening. And I've had to start my screenings, of course, 10 years earlier. So I started two years ago and I've had two scares since then. So I actually have been able to experience what it is when you get that call back and you're like, we need, and the doctor says, we need you to come back in. We need well, to look at it again. Well, I'm going to be the doctor. I can't help it sometimes. So given that your mom had breast cancer at 43, I assume that she was genetically tested eventually, or you've been genetically tested because of the age. So that's very interesting. You asked that my mother was genetically tested. They would not test me initially. You know, that's one of the issues that we do have in our system. Initially, they said, no, we will not test you until she gets tested. And then subsequent to then, I've still been in that battle of trying to get my genetic testing covered. 
Well, you certainly would qualify by the Kentucky Access and Awareness to Genetic Testing Act. And uh, also prostate cancer, particularly if your father's was metastatic, uh, would also potentially do. So there's really a reason from both sides of your family right. why you individually, even if your mother was negative. But did you, was your mom tested? My mom was tested and hers did come back negative. So which is one of the reasons why they're... Uh, um, you know, insurance is hesitant right. about paying for mine. But right now, you know, they have me on the uh, high risk schedule. So I have to go MRI and then mammogram every every six months. So I know what right. that is like. I actually have lived what it is that the, that the people that I'm serving go through. <laughs> well, make, make sure that she has had update testing because depending upon when her genetics were, there are many new genes and many new processes that are available compared to being tested a decade ago. Absolutely. Thank you for that information. For sure. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, well so, so when you're growing up in Chicago via Louisville, what qualities in your, now that you're full on the cancer fight, getting your doctorate and have your master's, what kind of qualities with, that you grew up with do you think prepared you for this career in cancer? I have to say being a servant. I grew up around um, a family that is, a faith-based family, which has led to a lot of the work that I wanted to do in the faith-based community. Um, as, I don't know if you ever heard the term a pew baby, <laughs> but I am yes. truly a pew baby. That is my family, born and raised in the church. And one thing that my family definitely has instilled and taught in me is about serving others. You know, so often we're so concerned about ourselves. We're so concerned about where we want to be and excel and exceed in life, which rightfully so we should, but we forget about doing things for the common good. We forget about doing those things for our neighbors. So I would say that that is something that helped prepare me for where I am now. Also, it, it also formed the type of leader that I am. You know, going through this program, um, I definitely was able to see, you know, my preferred type of leadership would be servant leadership. I believe in putting those people that I am working to make change for before myself. I keep them at the forefront so that therefore I know what it is that I'm trying to achieve and make sure that I'm achieving it for the right purpose. So I would definitely say that is something that helps shape me from who I am today. So flip it around. What have you learned through your work in the cancer space that maybe you didn't know before you got into the work and employment piece that you've taken back to your life? So interesting enough, compassion. I have had to, I, in the workspace, I've had to be, have so much compassion for everybody. I've had to make sure that I empathize and listen to people's lived experience and how it has shaped who they are that has shaped their decisions. I can't say that I always was like that in my personal life, though. I, 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 will t I tend to be somewhat harder on family sometimes. <laughs> so, and I get teased about that from my family. They say, you know what? We listen to you in the work that you do. We see you with the people that you serve and the populations you serve, and you treat them so differently. They was like, but you're so hard on us. And I forget sometimes to listen to my own family's lived experience. 
and understand that their lived experiences have shaped who they are as well. So I would have to say that they, I'm still a work in progress though, Dr. Jones, that I have not accomplished it just so you know, I'm still working on that piece with family. <laughs> no, that's a really great story because I think a lot of parents uh, and within our family, I think they get the harshest of our thoughts and everything like that. We're, and I do think it's great to transfer that back in to the family. And, and like so many people, you know, you learn lessons on either side of, you know, which, which door you're on at the time, but being able to take them back and expand who you are and grow is, is so yeah. critical. So, well, that's amazing. That's amazing. So uh, we know your family really changed your, your, your life because of the prevalence of cancer. How has their, their support helped you to pursue your goals? Tremendously, you know, that's a good question. And I don't know if I've taken time to really appreciate how their support has helped me to achieve my goals. But my family is the one that on the days that I am frustrated about being in this cancer fight, because as you know, we have some of those days. And those days that I am like, you know what? I, I want to give up. I don't want, I don't know if I can continue to do this for the rest of my life. It's my family that say, no, you're meant for this. We see you. We, we see the glow on your face when you're talking about public health, when you're talking about cancer and trying to make change. It was like, no, this is what you're supposed to do. And they're the ones who motivate me. Lovely. Well, that's a great, great lesson. So Certainly not everything's easy. How do you deal with uh, confidence? You talk about those frustrating days when you're, you're banging your head against the door. What recenters you? How do you deal with uh, adversity and how do you bring your confidence back in? So I'll tell you, recently um, I read something that I think that will best answer that question. And it said, we're a rough draft of who we are becoming. So on those days that I am beating my head against the wall, on the days that I am feeling defeated, on the days that I'm not even sure if I performed at my best, I remind myself that I'm just a rough draft of who I'm becoming and that I can't take on the world, the whole world at one time, but I have to do it in, in parts. I have to do it in pieces. So I remind myself to just keep on pushing and knowing that I'm going to get there and then and reminding myself of why. Like, what is, the, what is my why behind doing the work that we do? And it's because we want to help save lives. It's because we want to make a better living environment for people. We want people to be able to be healthy in no matter what state they're in. Very good. And when you deal with adversity, is that enough to bring you to the other side? Because it's awfully difficult. People don't like failure. And many times when they face hard choices or, or difficult problems, like we have faced in Kentucky with our cancer burden, some people's option is to, to just give up. What, what keeps you fighting despite the adversity that we face? So I'm going to answer that, but I'm going to go back to something you said when you said, you know, we no, people don't like failure. I can honestly say some of the best advice I was given was to not be afraid of failure. And because that's something I was guilty of. I didn't like failure. But I've realized that most of my greatest successes have came from my failures. 
And I would say that the way that I face adversity to keep going is to look at those failures and look at those successes. And it's what motivates me to keep doing what I do every day. Also, the thing that drives me to just keep doing it and keep pushing me to do what I do every day is I look at myself as a change agent. And someone has to do the work. And I understand that I, I can't say that any that no, I don't think that any person is irreplaceable, but we're all different and we all have different skill sets and bring something to the table. And I bring something unique that another person might not bring. So I remind myself that I look at myself as a change agent. And in order to continue to help make changes, then I have to continue to get up every day and do what I do. <laughs> I have to make sure that I don't throw in the towel, that I don't give up. I think those are critical lessons, Janika, because anytime a person starts a new endeavor, failure is the common denominator. Mm -hmm. And being able to move through that failure and learn from it to achieve is really the key to, I think, all success. So you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head for sure. It is, you know, and it's funny you said that because I, I, I can honestly say that throughout my life, I faced so much adversity. I've had so many times that I could have really said that I was giving up, you know, through being a caregiver through most of my life, through having family members battling cancer, um, going through college, and I worked the whole time that I was in college. So by having to, you know, maintain a job, to be able to pay for school, pay for books, care for family members, and attend college, I had so many times in my life that I really thought about, you know what, I, I really could say I'm going to stop. But I will say that pushing through those times in my life is what helped me to even push now. Lovely story. Tell me, we're going to move into a little bit about uh, who are the change agents you're working with. First, talk a little bit about uh, the Kentucky Cancer Program West. Uh, we'll talk about KAC next, and then we're going to move into a little bit of discussions about health equity, how we're doing, what we can do better, your views on COVID. So we're going we're to roll into your professional world now because you've given us some great lessons about your personal goals and your personal mission on that. Tell us about the KCP, what that means for our state, and what your role is. So Kentucky Cancer Program is the state mandated cancer control program. And our mission is to provide prevention, outreach education through research and services and evidence-based practices. And we cover all 120 counties. So it's something that's very unique that some states, the other states do not have, where you have regional cancer control specialists in each district to cover the whole state. And the work that KCP does is vital to our community, but what's also more vital is our, is our partners. We have some great partners that we've had a chance to work with in this cancer fight, not only with colon, but we do focus on most of the screenables of the preventable cancers like breast and cervical and lung. Um, so our focus is not just on one, but we make sure that we are out there in the community and we make sure that we are hearing the voices in the community to help make that change. And you, you all do a lot of community events. You're, you go to churches, you do a lot of faith-related issues. You're at the fair every year with the giant colon, uh, which is, uh, for some reason, people love the giant colon. What, what is it with that thing? I know, what is it? You know, kids, unfortunately, look at it as a punching bag, but the <laughs> but it is, it is a great educational tool. You know, I have seen as people go through the colon, 
they actually do gain a clear understanding of what of colon cancer and of those things that can lead to colon cancer. So sometimes, you know, for the small things that we wouldn't appreciate, other people can appreciate it. Yeah. But it's funny to see what the aha moment is for, for anyone per se. Yes, the KCP is really a unique program and we've had the opportunity to partner with them for 17 years that we've been in business at the project. So it's an amazing organization and I would say a great career for anyone who wants to get out there and, and work because you guys are spectacular. Tell us a little bit about KAC and that's the Kentucky African Americans Against Cancer. Uh, tell us about how that organization got started, where you are in that organization, what the goals and missions are. So Kentucky African Americans Against Cancer was established in 1990 as a part of the National Black Leader Initiative on Cancer from the National Cancer Institute. And I'm just going to throw this in there because I think it's so interesting that some of the doctors that helped originally start it are those that I get to still work alongside of now. And I really do love it because they can give this wonderful guidance and advice of what the missions, the goals were, what it is that they have set out to achieve when they established it. And I can now put that millennial spin on it <laughs> and we can make sure we're still achieving that same goal. Um, but the, co the coalition was established because of the high rates of cancer in the African-American community, that those health disparities um, amongst African-Americans, for instance, African-American men, as we know, they have higher mortality rate of most cancers. And KAC was started to help reach, to help close that gap in the white black disparity. And I've been working with KAC for six years now. And I can't even believe that it's, you know, time flies. I don't know if I can even believe it's been that long. And I absolutely love what I do. Um, I love working with the people. I love hearing people's stories um, because so often we're on our side and we're creating these programs but we can't create the programs without understanding people's why. We can't create the programs without understanding what it is that's going to help create change in their communities. And when we're looking at health equity, health equity is so vital to helping to really make change. A person's outcome should not be, depend on their zip code. Their health outcome should not depend on the fact that they had to get a less education level than, some, than the, their counterparts. And it is vital for us to understand that and, be, and help and let it guide us as we're helping to create and establish programs for the African-American community. Give, it, give us some examples, because I think that's a really important point that the life stories from people, we talk often about people from the prior generations, cancer was a death sentence. So mm -hmm. why look for cancer if it was going to be a death sentence? Right. Tell us about some of those, uh, I won't say myths, but perhaps misconceptions uh, in, in disparate communities about prevention mm -hmm. and also about seeking care. Right. You know, so I'm going to use a story of a gentleman that I met one time and it, he, he really stuck with me. It was a middle-aged African-American male and he came up to me, to, I did a presentation on colon cancer and he came up to talk to me after and um, he said he had been bleeding from his rectum for months. And of course you can, you can only imagine like my eyes buck. I'm like, what? Like, I, I want to get you somewhere today. Like, let me go drive you. I didn't, but you know, I, and he, he was very, very hesitant. 
he was like, I have no interest in going to see a doctor. And I, I said, why? And it, be, it stemmed from the treatment that his wife received. His perception of the treatment his wife perceived. And a lot of times what we fail to talk about is how people's perception as well as their realities impact their decisions on seeking medical care. We all know the story of the Tuskegee syphilis case and we know how it has impacted African-Americans view of the healthcare system. So for that man who he, his wife was battling a health condition, which he didn't get into details of what it was, but battling a health condition and his experience with his wife and he never was actually able to establish trust with, his, with those providers, it now hindered him from seeking care for himself. Instead, he preferred to just bleed from his rectum for months. And I think that we too often do not take time to look at those stories, to look at how these, look at how people's experiences impact their medical decisions. Also, another thing that I, I think that we don't focus on is those competing priorities. Speaking of the different population, specifically, specifically the African-American community, we know that you have all those underlying root causes that lead to those health disparities. So I can talk to someone about getting screened all day, but if you have someone who they can't pay their bills and they're being a caregiver and they're trying to work, the last thing they wanna talk about is getting screened for cancer. They want someone to got to create a better environment for them to where they can work for, a, for a, a, a good living wage. They want to be able to live in a neighborhood where they feel that they can be safe. Then they also want to be able to go to a provider that they trust. And all these things come together and impact people's decisions about whether they're going to move forward for a screening or not. Are there, are there issues in, uh, again, either the Black community or the Hispanic community that, you know, when we get to where you're sort of of the age, that's one piece. How do we reach back further down and, and begin to instill that prevention mentality about, about things that we struggle with in Kentucky? Smoking, particularly, is a huge one. Uh, obesity and diet is another huge one. Uh, you know, I'm always interested in how do we get a little further upstream uh, so that next generation, you know, won't face those. And then, and then after that, are, are we making progress on these health equity things? We've, it's come up a ton this year. We've had a ton of change going on in the country. <clears throat> it would be great to know that we're moving in a direction that's positive, even though we're not there yet. Right. Absolutely. So I think one of the ways that we're going to have to do that is starting more of that conversation around family history. And because so often, like you already kind of mentioned, you know, it was that idea that the word cancer was kind of taboo. Talking about family history was taboo. The word cancer meant a death sentence. So we're going to have to first be able to start those conversations in order to be able to even first make change for the younger generation. A lot of the younger generation did not even understand or know what was in their family line. So they don't even know to have some of those conversations. Also, we're going to have to find a way to create um, programs in a space where people can talk about their concerns and their issues with seeking care, with changing their different lifestyle behaviors. 
but also in conjunction with that, we have to make sure that we're providing access for people to choose a healthier lifestyle. So it's multifactorial, you know, I can't just say that there's just one thing that we can do, but we have definitely made progress in closing those, in closing the black white gap in cancer and being able to eliminate some of those disparities. Now I will say, you know, part of my fear with COVID is that we might see some of those disparities starting to widen again, because we know we've already seen a decrease in cancer screening. So unfortunately that is part of my fear, but I am excited to know that all the work that we have done in the state of Kentucky, all of our partners together have started to close some of those gaps. And I'll just brag on the work that's been done in colon. I mean, there's almost a complete erasure, erasure of the disparities between Blacks and non-Blacks. Our greatest disparity in the state of Kentucky has to do with the eastern part of our state, Appalachia, where we see cancer rates not coming closer together to the average, but actually spreading apart. So lots of work. Well, I, I, think, I think my big question is, how do we get from the studying of it to the impact on it? And, 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 and so what are your keys in this disparity issue specifically on turning those ideas into impact? Like what are the structural things that we should be doing as a medical community or faith community or public health community to really have impact? And because studying it, you know, as we know from academics, you can study things forever, but it doesn't necessarily change things. What's gonna make that change impact? So then, you know, Dr. Jones, you actually brought up something that is very vital. So often we do, we research things, we study them until they can be studied no more, but yet we never have that application piece. <laughs> You're right. But I think it's gonna, you, you mentioned, is it the medical, is it the public health, is it the faith? I believe that actually it's a collaborative effort. I think we are gonna have to come together in a unified effort to really see the change that we wanna see. Also, we need to make sure that we are creating programs that we are implementing things that are using a health equity lens. So even when we're creating, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, that's fine. So even when we are working on these initiatives, whether it is an initiative in the faith-based community, whether it is just a community screening, whether it is what we're do, providing, um, for instance, fit kits the, for individuals so they can return. We need to make sure that we're looking at all this with through a health equity lens. So for instance, I will tell you, you know, when I work on programs, I make sure that I partner, for example, with our community health workers. So therefore, if I am doing a presentation, if I am creating, uh, having a screening in the community, then I can make sure that if the person comes to me that we see and they need assistance in another area, whether it is a employment, whether it is for rent, whether it is resources for their children for school, that we can connect them with people in the community that can help address those competing priorities. So we're really going to have to start looking at things a little differently. It, it, it certainly has been easier in, in our own state because of the expansion of the Medicaid operation. So I think fewer people face that lack of insurance outside of a choice piece. But what I have found is people who do have insurance that's not Medicaid, they're terrible products. They have deductibles that are ridiculous. It's, you can't afford to see the doctor if you have a commercial insurance plan anymore. How right. are we gonna get over that space? But I, but I love what you're saying, which is 
make sure you're going to know that rent may be important than the pap smear. Make sure you know that, you know, the education piece may be a priority. So that community health worker can field all of those problems. Is that, is that the, the direction we're headed? Well, I will say that I think it's part of it. I don't think it's entirely the direction we, we're headed. And that's why I say, you know, it's going to take a collaborative effort. But I'm just using an example to say that sometimes, yes, they can do that. They have they have the connection to the resources. And it might not always work out the way we want, but making sure that we're at least addressing that person's needs. But yes, we have, yes, you're, you're right. Sometimes like when we talk about private insurance, those deductibles, those co-pays are so high, people can't afford them. You know, it would be great if we can move to just universal health care. <laughs> that would be ideal. But I do know that that would even that, that still could be a long ways away, even if that happened. But that would definitely help us change the trajectory of where we're going. Does Kayak have any programs where people can call in or go online and chat with people to help them better shape their own cancer prevention fight, if you will, or their cancer fight? So that we don't have a way that people can go online to chat, but people can definitely call our office and we are very accessible to pe to individuals where we can walk them through the prevention as well as their cancer fight. We have a wonderful support group that meets every fourth Monday. You know, another thing that we talk about is there's sometimes disparities in survivorship. To try and eliminate even that disparity, you know, we have the support group and we have a wonderful group of individuals that they have formed this bond and this relationship and they help each other by sharing what they've learned through their process. So maybe if somebody did run into an issue where they received a bill that they should not have, another person might be able to share with them what they did to rectify that situation. So having individuals that can support you through your journey is vital. Yeah, I think that would be a great resource for people. And I know you're linking people through the faith community, which is, which is so important. And to your point, African-Americans have a really low rate of involvement in clinical trials, because as we're getting into personalized medicine and precision medicine, it's really important who you are genetically as to how you're going to be treated. So I think that, you know, making sure that that message is out there that, you know, clinical trials, the other big thing we see a lot are people who don't get second opinions, mm -hmm. which is always, I think, sad. I think people, second opinions are critical. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, how do we begin to bring those guys in? Because I think you're at the perfect juncture between Kayak and also uh, the KCP to really have a broader effect uh, on, on this issue. And again, in Louisville, that's a significant issue in many places in the state of Kentucky. Right. You know, we are actually this week we're going to be participating. Um, some of the members of KAC are going to be participating in a webinar, a series on clinical trials, because clinical trials is very important. And we do know that African-Americans, as you said already, do not necessarily participate. And that also goes back to making sure that we have individuals that they can trust and making sure that things are. And it goes back to that health literacy, though, making sure that they clearly understand about their participation in the clinical trials and make sure that they can trust what becomes of the clinical trial. Yeah, that was a, such a, it set us back so many years to have to deal with, you know, some of that really uh, egregious work that was done uh, previously. So I'm, I'm glad we're headed in the right direction. I know we're not there yet, yes. uh, but I think that's all spectacular. So um, 
tell us about your organization and how they facilitate the work that Janika is doing. Tell us about, and I think that's the University of Louisville as well as the KCP. Right, so the university, so with KCP, like I stated earlier, we cover 120 counties and the way that that is done is we're administered through our two major universities, University of Louisville and University of Kentucky. So KCP West is administered through the University of Louisville James Graham Brown Cancer Center. And we, ha I really have to applaud our cancer center for taking such an interest in the work that we do. So through the organization, Kentucky Cancer Program and UofL, that's how we've been able to serve the community for over 30 years now. And we're still out there. And it's not just about the, not just serving the community. We work in so many different capacities with provider education, also public education, as well as working when partnering with our researchers and at the academic institution to make sure that we're getting those opportunities for research out there. Speaking of African-Americans in clinical trials, making sure that any type of research that comes down the pipeline, we're actually able to take that to the community to explain to them the importance of their involvement. So we're actually able to help in so many different capacities to facilitate reducing those disparities. But that wouldn't be enough for you. So my, you, you shared with me earlier, you're a bit of a radio talk show host uh, in your spare time. Tell us a little bit about your show. Give yourself a plug. So every, so it's not um, on a regular basis. I'd say it's probably quarterly. I do a radio show with WLOU and it's generally on colon. And I have various ones of our partners on there. Dr. Wayne Tuxen, Dr. Karen Krigger has been on this show. Um, people from our FQHC, our Fairly Qualified Health Centers here locally, they've been on the show to talk about the importance of screening, to talk about those factors that lead to disparities in colon cancer. And this is also a way for us to disseminate the information on a more wide scale. Um, so with this show, we do know that a lot of African Americans seek their health information from radio, from TV, and from their providers. So we try to make sure that we have multiple touches into the community to be able to get their information out. So, and I do, I do, I do enjoy it. You know, it's kind of interesting. I never looked at myself as being that person. I was like, oh, I'll never get into any kind of like PR work or any type of hosting of a show, but it actually has become, some, become something that I enjoy. Well, I'm sure it's great. You'll have to shoot me an email the next time I, I listen. Ellie is my, my Sunday morning station, actually. So uh, okay. I, I love it because I'm always inspired with the music and that's just how I feel on Sunday morning. So yeah. uh, I will look forward to it. So here's a couple last questions. Where can the medical industrial complex, which we work in, what is our greatest opportunity to improve where we are compared to where we want to be? Well, I think we kind of touched on some of that. And one of that would definitely be um, reducing barriers for individuals to seek care. And like I mentioned earlier, I said it would be great if we could have universal health care. I understand that might not happen, um, but that's one way that we can definitely um, change. Another way is working better in the preventive space as well as in our clinical trial space and making sure that we're making those opportunities um, available for everyone. 
when we're designing them. I think a lot of it also has to go back to the way that they're designed. Sometimes they're not designed with everyone in mind being inclusive enough, but we need to make sure that as we're designing them, we are looking at all populations and looking at the demographics of all those populations and how we can design better programs to be able to uh, change that. Also, another thing is that we need to tout our accomplish accomplishments more. Like you spoke on earlier, we have done some great work with reducing disparities and we do need to make sure that we're highlighting those even more and then maybe using what we uh, maybe using a framework of how we reach success in one area and adapting it to another area to see if we can see or achieve equal success. Excellent. So Janika Sharad, what's going to be your advice to someone who finds themselves in a cancer fight in order to come out successful against that? So I would say that the thing that I would actually tell someone is perseverance. Why perseverance? Well, I have to speak from my personal experiences to actually explain that. And that's because of different things, as we spoke on early, earlier, different adversities I faced. It was only that because of perseverance that I kept going. And even now, the work we can we do, we face we face so many obstacles. We face challenges with funding. We face challenges of those root causes of disease. We also face the challenges of, we know things, especially in public health can move slow. They don't move as, <laughs> they don't move as fast as we would like them to. But in order to really see the outcomes that we hope to see, in order to see the change we wanna see and see people's lives saved the way we want, we're gonna have to persevere. We're gonna have to keep on pushing and, and, and not give up. And we're gonna have to work, we're gonna have to push each other as partners to keep going because it does get frustrating in the work in the line of work that we do but it also in the frustration is also rewarding janika it's been a wonderful talk we've had we see each other all the time we'll continue to but really sharing what drives you has really been inspirational and i want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and with your family issues ongoing to share your story with us on Cancer Fight today. It was a privilege, thank you, it was my honor. Thank you for being with us today on Cancer Fight. To keep up with our work, follow Colon Cancer Prevention Project on all major social media platforms and visit our website, kickingbutt.org. Special thanks to our producer, Keaton Jones, and our director, Maggie Cunningham. Until next time, fight on, cancer warriors.